So good. And you guys know you can take a seat. Worship team, thank you guys so much. Do you know, I mean, I might sound cocky, but I'm going to say it anyways. Do you know how spoiled we are with this back here going on? My goodness. That's something special. Well, hey, so uh, today is a little bit of a different day. We started a tradition a couple years ago where my son helps me preach. So uh, this is my son Gideon. If you guys could welcome him to the stage. So, there's your seat, son. Thank you very much. Um, You all right? Yeah? So we started this tradition two years ago when you were eight years old. So two years ago, Gideon was so foolish compared to this one full of wisdom and and years of experience, yes? So... Uh, we're excited. We did, we did two years ago. We did a little quarantine Father's Day last year, and then now we're back up on the stage. So I know you're excited to be here. Are you excited to be here, son? You asked me about this, so I know you want to be up here because I kind of waited to see your interest level. So um, there's this blessing and this curse as parents, and you guys know this if you're parents, um, where your kids, uh, they're like more impacted by what you do than what you say. Yeah. So, uh, actually, my mentor just said to me the other day, plug your ears, he goes, the things that most annoy you about your children are the things you don't like about yourself. And I'm like, how dare you? Um, So, Gideon, we are similar in a lot of ways. Dare I say you uh, imitate me, mimic me in in some ways. So, uh, let's start with some good ones. What are some ways that we're alike? Um, We're both creative. Was that a question? We're both creative. We like building things out of cardboard and drawing. Yes. So we are cardboard uh, artists. We, we make things out of cardboard. I think that creativity, that is one area where creativity comes out, but I do feel like me and you kind of have the same kind of wiring in our brain for that kind of thing. What else? How else are we similar? Uh, preaching. Yeah. There's another one. So you like, you, you like this, even though you're not super acting like you like it right now. I'm sure you'll get a little more comfortable here. Um, that's another one where I would say, uh, I tell you all the time, words are powerful. Um, and he has something kind of on him, a little bit, I think, of an anointing where you can use that power for good or for evil. Uh, and occasionally it comes out the other way as well. So let's, let's, be, let's be a little more transparent. What are some other ways we're similar? Anger issues. <laughs> <laughs> we, both, we both have anger issues. We are like... The Hulk, we are always a little bit angry. So uh, that's one, yeah, man, you see your kid kind of start to do some things and say some things, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. So, all right, la- last one. Well, how else are we similar? Parenting Zeke. Let's try again. Can you hold that microphone up and say it loud. Parenting Zeke. Okay, so uh, he's got a four-year-old brother named Zeke, and we both like to parent him. One of us is allowed to. And the other one isn't, so we both, we both kind of do that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a wild thing as you're parenting, realizing that God even uses this interaction to kind of show you some things about yourself. But this dynamic of whether I want to or, or whether I want him to or not, he's going to uh, imitate me, he's going to mimic me, he's going to uh, learn from me. It's the same kind of idea that we're supposed to have with God, the same kind of relationship. So Gideon, what does Ephesians 5 say about that? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, 
because you are his dear children. Imitate God. So God desires the same dynamic that the way a child would imitate a parent that we would imitate God. So here's my, here's my uh, I'm going to build a logical argument here this morning. So two weeks ago we talked about God, right? And the illustration that the Bible uses, one of the ways that we're supposed to think about God is God is like a lion, right? So God is like a lion, helps us correct a lot of the wrong ways we think about God, we can replace those ways with a fiercely loving, powerful lion. So if God is like a lion and we are supposed to be like God, then therefore we should be like lions, right? Um, So uh, two weeks ago, we also talked about the idea that what pops into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Do you remember that? I thought that was really powerful insight. Um, but what about what pops into your mind when you think about you? I'd say, I mean, it's not the most important thing, but what, top five, top three? Your self-perception of who you think you are. Uh, this is really important because there's this little saying, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, um, it's not who you are, but who you think you are that determines your behavior. You ever heard that? And that's definitely true. You know, if any of you have small dogs, you know that the small dog who thinks he's a big dog, he acts according to who he thinks he is, not who he really is. Your four-year-old brother can act according to who he thinks he is, even uh, though he's littler than you and you could pound him into the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Try to avoid getting to that level. Um, So what do you think about yourself? What, what, what pops into your mind when you think about you? What's your self-talk like? Um, how you perceive yourself is going to determine, really, the course of your life, right? In Proverbs, it says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. So your thoughts about who you are are really, really important. And that's kind of crazy, right, to say that it's your, your thought on who you are that's going to really dictate the course of your life, that your, your self-perception has that kind of power in it. By the way, parents, just a little side note as well. Uh, Be careful what you say to your kids about who they are. I think you're speaking. You're not just speaking to them. You're speaking identity into the way they think about themselves. It's a really important thing that you got to be careful for when you have anger issues and stuff like that. You know, you got to really be careful about what comes out of your mouth sometimes. So if God is like a lion, we're supposed to be like God. We need to be like lions. So I learned a new word this week. Uh, It's leonine. Leonine, really cool word. Getting what does that what does that word mean? Pertaining to or characteristics of the lion. The lion, right? So, uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at ten aspects of a leonine mentality, uh, a leonine way of viewing the world, a leonine way of carrying yourself, a leonine disposition, a leonine state of mind. Ten aspects. So I did a sermon, I don't know if you guys remember this, did a sermon a couple weeks ago uh, where I had ten points and some of our ADD members came up to me and said that that was the best sermon I had ever preached. So I thought I'd bring it back and do, we're going to do ten points. It gives you ten on-ramps. In case you stop paying attention, you got nine more chances to jump on and know what we're talking about. So we're going to do ten aspects of a Leonine mentality which we should have. So Gideon, what is our first Leonine quality that we should possess? Lions are bold. All right. So what does Proverbs 28 say about that? The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. Bold. Bold as lions. So would you describe yourself that way when you think about yourself and you're kind of listing your characteristics? Would you put bold on the list? Uh, And if you don't know, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to 
understand the meaning of words, not that you don't know what that word means, but like to round it out, for me, a lot of times I look at the opposite of the word. So antonyms of bold or cowardly, timid, spineless, spiritless, apprehensive. Uh, which, which side of the scale would you live on in your life? Are you more on the bold side or the apprehensive side? Do you live your life in boldness? So Gideon, one of the toughest stages of my life uh, was middle school. Middle school is rough, man. I'm not going to lie. Our, our, is, is Mosaic Youth in here with us today? Can you guys make some noise back there? Okay. It's the last time you're supposed to make noise, but good job doing that. All right, so listen. You up there, listen to this too. This is important. So um, when I was in middle school, I lacked boldness. I, was not, I would not have put that anywhere in the list of, of how I describe myself in middle school. And you know what killed my boldness? Caring about what other people thought about me. Stop reading my notes. Um, caring about what other people thought about me killed my boldness. And I think that's true of anybody. It's true whether you're going into fifth grade or whether you're turning 50. It, it doesn't matter, right? If you care about what other people think about you, it's going to murder your boldness. Getting what does Hebrews 13 say? So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yeah, verse kind of drips with boldness a little bit. It's got a little swagger to it, right? What can mere people do to me? It's a Leonine verse right there. We lack, or, you know, we, we don't, we're not going to be bold because we are some 700-pound apex predator, right? We, we are bold because we believe in the apex spiritual being in existence. That's why we're bold. We get our boldness from our relationship with God. We get our boldness because we care about what he thinks about us, and we allow that, God's thoughts on us, to rule our lives. When we walk into a room, when we make a decision, we know who we are, we know whose we are, and we radiate boldness because we know God and we have a relationship with him. So that's the source of our boldness. You have to decide when you're going into middle school, you have to decide you care more about what God thinks about you than what your friends think about you. And that will dictate your boldness level, how much you can do that. And it will affect the rest of your life. Eventually, you'll have to climb out if you dig a hole, which I did. All right, Gideon. So that's the first one, boldness. What's our second Leonine quality we're after today? Lions hunt. Lions hunt. Lions hunt. So what I want to point to here is the idea that they don't wait for their prey to come to them. Right? Lions don't sit around twiddling their paws, waiting for a zebra to walk up and offer itself to them, right? They go get their prey. Uh, what does Numbers 23 say? These people rise up like a lioness, like, like, a, majest, like a majestic lion rousing itself. They refuse to rest until they have feasted on prey, drinking the blood of the slaughtered. Okay, so that's a little morbid of a verse there. I gave you... <laughs> Gave you a gross one. So interestingly enough, this is a prophecy about the people of Israel. Uh, so this guy is making this prophecy describing the way the people of Israel are, are supposed to be, going to be. Um, and he's saying, hey, uh, that the people of Israel or the people of God, which, which should be us, right? The idea is that uh, these people, man, they're not going to be passive. They're going to be active. They rise up. They rouse themselves. I like that. So they, hey, they didn't wait. They, they didn't wait for somebody to come wake them up. They, they woke themselves up. They roused themselves and they went and got what they were after. They didn't wait for it to come to them. I want to say, I think a lot of Christians are passive, 
I think we're, we're more passive than active. Um, and so let's just talk about those passive Christians. I know none of us are, but let's just talk about them for a minute, those people that are passive Christians. Um, they call it patience, but really it's laziness. You know what I'm saying? Um, they call it waiting on God, but really it's a lack of motivation. Um, and they wait on God because there's a verse in the Bible that says we're supposed to, right? There's several. And, and you can quote it and say, I'm just waiting on God, and I get it. But they act like that verse means that they're supposed to sit there and wait for God to hand them everything. But I want to point something out. This is, this is something I actually learned this week. Um, I feel like I should have known this before. Um, but in almost every case in the Bible, uh, specifically the Old Testament, where, where God says to wait, um, it's usually when somebody's about to give up. It's when somebody's about to run from their purpose. It's not some, ooh, I'm about to make a big decision, I should wait on God. No, it's usually when they're at the end of the rope and they're about to say, just forget this, I'm done, I'm, I'm giving up. And God says, wait, wait on me. That's when he says, wait. So it's not like you're jumping out ahead of God and God's like, ooh, wait for me to catch up. That's, don't be stupid, you're not that fast, come on now. <laughs> That's not it. That's not it. So stop quoting that verse when you're supposed to make some big decision. No, start quoting that verse when you're about to give up. That's where that verse belongs. So I think a lot of Christians, we've got this kind of backwards, and we, we have this mentality that we're supposed to sit on our hands until God does something, but I think maybe a better illustration of your walk with God is like a dance, like God is God's lead, right? He takes a step, then you take a step, but, but you don't just limply let God carry you around the dance floor, right? You're going to have to move with him. He takes a step, you take a step. He moves, you move. He, he, he nudges you this way, you go this way. You're going to have to actively participate in those things in your life. Lions, hunt. Be active, not passive. That is a leonine quality. What's our third one, Gideon? Lions are stubborn. 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 I can think of somebody like that a little bit. What's Proverbs 30 say about that? The lion king of animals who won't turn aside for anything. Won't turn aside for anything. The lion, once he has decided on a course of action, goes in a straight line towards wherever he's going. He does not turn aside because something has gotten in his way. He expects the thing in his way to move. Now, a lot of times, I don't know if you know this, Gideon, as a parent, we view stubbornness as a negative quality. Uh, it is, I would call it annoying sometimes when you have a kid who's stubborn. A kid who, hypothetically, Gideon, when you tell them to do something, would want to have a conversation with you about it that lasts 30 minutes, and then they give like a hundred reasons why the thing I told them to do isn't really a good idea. Hypothetically, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Something like that? You ever been in a room like that? No. <laughs> That's not in the notes. That just came out of me. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Scale of one to ten, how stubborn do you think your little brother is, Ezekiel? Twenty. Twenty. <laughs> All, right. All right. Let me ask you another one. On a scale of one to ten, how stubborn do you think you are? Ten. Get out of here. All right. Our next point, we're going to add another one. Self-awareness. We're going to add into this. Uh, you're easily as stubborn as him. So there's this guy in the Old Testament. It's kind of ironic. Um, the guy in the Old Testament, his name is Ezekiel. Um, and God called him to be a prophet to the people of Israel. So look at what God says to Ezekiel in chapter 3, starting in verse 8. What do you got? But look, I've made you as obstinate and hard hard-hearted as they are. I've made your forehead as hard as the hardest rock. So don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. 
So this guy, in the Old Testament, God is talking about this prophet, and God is claiming credit for this prophet Ezekiel's stubbornness. God is actually saying, I put that, I, I made your forehead and I made it like diamond. I made your forehead hard. I made you have a hard head. Like, I gave you that. That's, that's something we need to, parents, we need to remember this, that God uh, makes us this way. He put that stubbornness inside of each person in this room who may or may not be stubborn. Uh, and that means that stubbornness is more of a neutral quality, right? Stubborn isn't necessarily bad or necessarily good. It depends how you use it. How will you use the power of stubbornness in your life? You can, you can aim it at whatever you want. You can aim your stubbornness at being right all the time. You can aim, aim your stubbornness at selfishly going after what you want. You can. Or you can allow God to get a hold of your stubbornness and use it for his purposes. Because you're going to need to be stubborn in your life to do what God wants you to do. Did you know that? I just did a wedding a couple weeks ago and I, I told them that, you know, you're going to need to be stubborn to stay married. I know some of you are thinking, well, stubbornness is actually the reason my marriage is falling apart. <laughs> but you're going to need it. You're going to need to aim it at the right thing. If you want to heal that marriage, if you want to go the distance in that marriage, you're going to need some stubbornness to keep that thing going. You need to, you're going to need to be stubborn to raise kids to love God. You're going to need to pray this, these verses over yourself. <laughs> you need to be just as stubborn as your children to raise them to love God. You're going to need to be stubborn to pursue that dream that God planted in your heart. Stubborn. You're going to need to be stubborn to do and be what God wants and make it through middle school. You're going to need to be stubborn. You're going to have to aim that stubbornness at the right thing. And I think there's going to be a lot of times in your life as you're pursuing what God wants for you where there's going to be stuff, just like that verse said, that's going to want to turn you off to the side, to the right or to the left, and you're going to have to be like a lion and say, no, 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 no. I'm not moving, you move. I'm, I'm going to go towards what God wants me to do and what God wants me to be. So the leonine quality of stubbornness. What's number four, Gideon? Lions are meek. 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 Now, I know that you probably, when you think about lions, you don't think about the word meek, right? Because usually our perception uh, is that meekness means weakness, right? Uh, when you think of a meek, you think of a mouse, right? You think of a small animal that's quiet and, and doesn't do much with it. But that's because we, we don't uh, understand the biblical definition of meekness. Um, Jesus was described as meek, right? And that's the, that's the lion of Judah, right? That guy, he was described as being meek. Uh, and Jesus also said this in, in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So Jesus says that meek people will inherit the earth. If you think of meekness as weakness, that's a weird thing to say. That's Jesus saying like, hey, I'm going to put the really weak people in charge of this whole thing. Like, that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? But the, the biblical definition of meekness is power under control. Power under control. That's what meekness really is. Uh, so lions know when to... <laughs> use their power. They do not allow their power to just run rampant, right? Um, they use their power in the, in the hunt. They use their power. They aim their power at the purpose that they're supposed to. They don't just go crazy with it. So, so I want you to know something. If you were silently amening as I was talking about hunting and being active and being stubborn, if you got a lot of testosterone thrown through your veins, then this one's important for you too. You need to know that, that uh, a leonine quality is meekness, is knowing when and where uh, to express the power that God has given you. Power under control. 
When it comes to your passion, your anger, your drive, you must allow God to control that. Not like a wildfire burning out of control, but like a forge, a fire in a forge that's controlled and white hot and serves a purpose, meekness, power under control. That's number four. Getting what's number five. Lions have excellent vision. Vision, vision. Lions can see. Lions actually have six times better vision uh, than humans. They can see far, they can see clear, they can even see kind of in the dark. Um, They can focus on their prey despite many distractions. So I like that. Lions have vision, we need to have vision. Gideon, what does Proverbs 29, 18 say? Where there is no vision, the people perish. There is no vision, people perish. When you don't hear from God and know from God what God wants from you, you kind of start the process of death. So let me ask you, do you have a vision from God? You have a vision from God. You have a God-given vision in your life. There's an old saying, if you aim at nothing, you will surely hit it. You ever heard that? Is, is that kind of how you're living your life? You're, you're hitting 100% because you're not really aiming at anything. You, you always hit it. If you don't have a God-given vision for your life, your odds are you're going to spend your life doing trivial things that don't matter. So, how much longer do you plan on, on living Anybody got that? You got that mapped out? Anybody got that on the calendar? You have, a, you have an idea? Okay, go ahead. I'd like to hear from you. 90 more years. 90. So you're going to make it to 100, huh? Okay, I like that. Right. Well, the average human lives to about 70, so you're going for plus 30 on that. That's, let's, just, let's just hypothetically say that we're average in this room. I know none of us are average. We're all like this one up here. Um, but how much, if, if you're going to live till ish, the 70s-ish, what's that give you? What are you going to do with the 20, 30, 40, 50, 90 years you have left? What are you going to do with it? Do you have a vision for it? Stephen Covey in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, habit number two, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. You start at the end and you work backwards. You fill in the blanks from where you want to be, where you know God wants you to be, where you can paint that picture of that life that you know God wants you to live, and then you work backwards from there to fill in the gaps with what that actually, what would actually get to take you there. So begin with the end in mind. What do you want your life to look like? What do you think God wants your life to look like? Work backwards from there. Are you on that path? Are you taking the steps necessary to be that person to do those things? Do you have vision for your life, a God-given dream for what your life is supposed to look like. It's a leonine quality. What's number six, Gideon? Lions need a pride. A pride. Lions need a pride. A healthy lion is not a loner. Lions don't really live. They're one of the only cat, big, big cats that, that live uh, in a pride. Um, healthy lions function in a group. They are interdependent. They hunt together. They protect together. They thrive together. Lions understand the power of community. It's instinctual to them. And I wish it was instinctual to us. So Gideon, uh, the writer of Hebrews, reminds us of this in, in chapter 10. What does he say? Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. So here the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't, don't forget the power of community. Don't forget the power of having a, a pride in your life. 
Uh, you know, Gideon, there's this saying, it's something I used to say when I was a youth pastor back, back way back, back in the day. Um, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You ever heard that? I don't know if it's exactly true. There's another saying, um, is a classic youth pastor one. Scott, I'm sure you've used this before. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You ever heard that one? Oh, you've heard that one. Okay. Oh, mom says it to you. Okay. Yeah. She got it from me. She quoted. I got it from somebody else. She stole it from me. Um, <laughs> But the idea is that we were so created to live in community that we actually kind of start to, we, we start to act like the people we spend the most time with. That we weren't created to live in isolation. That in some way when we're surrounded by people, that by osmosis things start to happen. That's why it's so important, side note, parents, to be involved with uh, the, kids that you're, you're, the kids that your kids hang out with. I mean, you got you to be in there. You can't, you can't just let things happen. Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about that. Like, man, I'm getting nervous because I've got... I got one heading into sixth grade, one heading into fifth grade, and I know that my influence is going to wane here, and uh, the friends are going to start to take over. Man, you got to really watch that. And if we need to watch it with our kids, we need to watch it with ourselves. Who are you hanging out with? Who's your tribe? Who's your pride? If, if, if this little saying is true, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, what's your, what's your future like? Who's your people? Where are they going? What, what's, what's their influence on you? Uh, how's it going to affect you? You need people in your life who encourage you to, and motivate you to become who God created you to become. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't care if you've been friends with them since high school. Maybe it's time to get some new friends. You know what I'm saying? Just because you're friends with them in high school doesn't mean you've got to keep them your whole life. It's not, it's, there's no rule. There's no rule. You don't have to. All right, Leonine quality, Leonine quality of being a part of a pride. Gideon, what else? Number seven. Lions hunt together. Hunt together. Hunt together. Each lion in the plot pride plays a role. Some scout, some lie in wait, some are making noise, driving the prey towards the lions who are hiding. Each one plays a vital role in the pride. They work together to accomplish a goal. They serve the pride. What does Peter have to say about that, Gideon? First Peter 4.10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Use them well to serve one another. So if you're going to be a part of a pride, part of being in a pride means that you serve the pride. You, you, you add something to it. And that if you're not adding something to it, that the, the pride is hurting because of that. They're missing something because you're not contributing in the way that God created you to contribute. I believe that God has burdened this church with glorious purpose. <laughs> we are a church for people who don't think church is for them. That's a big mission. And we kind of stand at the edge of faith and we reach outside and try to get a hold of people who don't have faith. We're not trying to build a safe church here. We're not trying to build a comfortable church here. We're trying to build uh, what I would <laughs> call it a dangerous church. A church that's on a mission. A church that puts holes in the gates of hell. And in order to be a part of that, you really got to serve. So you got to, you got to, I don't want you to just come to church. I think coming to church is awesome, but I want you to be a part of it. I want you to, we, we need you. Like God brought you here, not just for you. God brought you here for us. You know that? And that, that's a crazy thing to think about. Like I know that a lot of you have stories like, man, God's moved in this church in my life. And that's awesome. But God wants to move through you now. God wants to use you to affect things. So contributing, being a part, man, we hunt together. We hunt together here. And we're, we're hunting for the lost. We're trying to bring them to Jesus. 
and need to be a part of that. So, Leonine Quality. Thank you, Jonathan. Hunt together. Serve your pride. All right, what's number eight? Lion, share the kill. Share the kill. Share the kill. That's a good one. You came up with this one. Um, I changed it a little bit, but you came up with this one. Uh, so lions don't hoard the kill, right? Uh, they share with each other. Uh, and I, I wanted to use this as the word that you brought up when we were talking about lions, uh, to talk about honor. Uh, he talked about lions as kind of being an honorable animal. Um, they honor each other by sharing the kill. They respect each other's place in the pride. Um, and what's sad is, I think, if you kind of look around in the world today, uh, four-legged apex predators are better at honor than humans, <laughs> right? They treat each other, believe it or not, better than we do, right? We, we eat our own. <laughs> they, they don't. Um, so Romans 12, what, is, what does Paul have to say about this? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Yeah, outdo one another. So Paul kind of puts it to his church here, and he says, hey, like, make it a competition to see how you can outdo each other in honoring each other. Like, instead of doing the opposite, which is what we always do, is dishonoring each other and kind of getting ours, Paul says, no, 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 flip it. Compete to honor each other. Turn it into a, a healthy competition to try and honor each other. So our honor level shows our value level. The greater the honor, the greater the value, right? Anything you, you value, you honor. So we honor each other. When we honor each other, we show that we value each other. And our goal here at Mosaic is that our, our words and our attitudes would, would exude honor, that we believe the best about each other, that we would believe the best for each other, that we would create a haven of honor in a culture of contempt. That's like part of our values here at the church is to create a haven of honor in a culture of contempt. And I think that's really hard because our culture sucks at honor right? We, we suck at honor. We're, we're awesome at disrespect. We're awesome at contempt. We're awesome at assuming the worst. We're awesome at ripping each other apart behind our backs, but we're not very good at honor. And how cool would it be if we could be a church that was counterculture in this? If we could just do this, if we would just say, hey, what if we just focused all our efforts on being a church that was honor, like honorable, full of honor, we just got honor down. Can you imagine how magnetic that would be to people in our culture right now? That, that we would honor each other, that we would believe the best about each other. People wouldn't even know what to do with it. The people would be flying in here. Because right. it's, it's a desert out there. This could be an oasis of honor. Yeah. People would have no idea what to do with themselves in a church full of people who believed the best about each other, who didn't talk about each other behind their back, who, who talked, talked each other up, who believed each other up, who, who, who kind of held each other in this high-value place. Man, it would, it would be magnetic. People, people would come flying in here. Lions share the kill. They honor each other. Being a person of honor is leonine. All right, this next one. It started off as kind of a joke, um, but I latched onto it pretty quick. So uh, I forget that it was a conversation being had. I think Tr Trinity was a part of it too. We're just kind of throwing out characteristics of lions. So what's number nine? Hungry. <laughs> they just... Blurted out, they started laughing, like, oh, don't write that down. I'm like, no, 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 write that down. Lions are hungry. Lions are hungry, and I really like that one. It is funny, but I think it's a characteristic that Christians should have. We should be hungry, not for food, that's fine, but hungry for God, hungry for purpose, hungry to build God's kingdom. I want to be hungry for that. So again, I, I want to kind of correct something that I think kind of happens in the church world, at least from what I, my experience. I think a lot of times ambition... Uh, gets a bad reputation in the church world. Like anybody who wants something or pursues something with passion is wrong. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from a misunderstanding of contentment. 
So we're, we're big on contentment, and, and there's Bible verses about contentment, right? Godliness with contentment is, is great gain. I, I know all that. Um, but if we think that contentment means we can't pursue things or be ambitious or passionate about things, then I think we misunderstand that. I mean, read, read the Bible. David was one of the most passionate people to ever live. He was ambitious, man. He, he wanted to be king. I mean, like Paul, Paul was ambitious. He wanted to plant church in every city he went in. Like they were ambitious. They were after something. Um, there was something good about being hungry for things. Uh, Jesus even talked about this in Matthew chapter 5. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So he, at least on some level, we know it's okay to be hungry for something that we don't have, right? Because Jesus says, hey, if you're hungry and you're thirsting for righteousness, like, you're going to get it eventually. He may be talking about heaven, <laughs> but, but he's saying, hey, a hunger for something, not all hunger is bad. Not all hunger, uh, not all discontentment is bad. Um, so, and I, I want to point that out because I'm... Um, pastor named Bill Hybels, he, he wrote a book called Holy Discontent. Holy Discontent, a sanctified discontentment. Something in your soul that drives you toward God, what God wants for you, what God wants to do through you. A sanctified discontentment, a discontentment that has been anointed by and directed by the Holy Spirit in your life. What are you hungry for in your life? What would your life look like if you asked God to direct your hunger? Maybe stop with the, oh, I'm just supposed to be okay with everything in my life because the Bible says to be content. Maybe not. Maybe God wants you to be discontent with your spiritual life. Maybe God wants you to be discontent with the level of purpose you have in your life. Maybe you're supposed to be hungry for that. Maybe it's okay. I always think it's weird. I, I'll share something a little, maybe, maybe I shouldn't, but I will. Like, I always think it's weird pastors who are like, oh, I just, I just want to be faithful in my church. If it never grows, I just want to be faithful. Okay. <laughs> Like, but like Jesus said to go seek and save the lost, like the, 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 those are people. You got to, in order for more people to come to Christ, more people, like, you know, you're, you're, the church should grow. It should be a part of it. So I've always struggled with that. And I know it's like a weird thing with pastors where I was like, oh, it's not all about the numbers. But numbers are people and people matter. Like, that's a big deal to me. So like, I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry to see more people come to Jesus. I'm hungry to see this church grow. And I'm not like, sorry at all for that. Like, I will continue to press into that and lean into that because we need to be discontent with how many people we've reached for Jesus. We need to be discontent with that. We need to be hungry to see more and more people do that. I want to see more and more people get baptized. I can't wait till we get into that new building, man. I can't wait for that first baptism. That's going to be crazy. Jonathan's going to tear that stage down that first week. It's going to be awesome. And I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So maybe, here's my theory, could be wrong, but maybe you are misinterpreting your discontentment in your life. What if, what if even your discontent, we talk about aiming your stubbornness, what if your discontentment is aimed at the wrong stuff? You keep, you keep trying to aim it at your job or your relationships or whatever, but what if, what if the biggest source of your discontentment in your life is like a lack of purpose, a lack of God-given purpose in your life, and that's really what God's trying to like tug on something in your heart and you're not getting it. You're like, oh, what if it's this? Oh, what if it's this? And God's like, no, try again. No, try again. Like, you got to go after purpose. You got to go after that thing that God created you for. It's the closest thing to fully satisfied you'll be this side of heaven. So get after it. Be hungry. Be hungry. All right, last one. This was yours too. Lions are strong. Strong, strong. Lions have a bite strength of 650 pounds per square inch PSI. You have about 200, from what I understand. So lions are very powerful. They can crack a 
a cow's skull with a swipe of their paw. You can't do that either. This one's a difficult one though, right? So lions are strong. Um, we're supposed to be strong. But you can't just decide that, right? That'd be nice. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be strong now. You can't decide it physically, and I don't think you can decide it emotionally or spiritually either, right? It's not, it doesn't work that way. You can't just walk out the door and be like, I'm strong now. It doesn't work that way. Um, and yet, we're, we're like commanded to be strong. We are. The Bible actually says, be strong. Um, so even when I feel weak, even when I feel completely helpless, the Bible says to be strong. But that's not all it says. So Gideon, what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6? Like this, the, the old man's using technology. This one's got paper. <laughs> a, final, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Ooh. So if you stop at the, a final word, be strong, it's a little discouraging, but he doesn't stop there. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So your strength doesn't come from you. So Gideon, um, you know that when we have family movie night, I can be a little picky because I think a lot of kids' movies are super boring and I hate them. Um, but that's why we as a family love Marvel because we're all happy with that. Um, every once in a while, there's like a Disney or Pixar movie that comes out that I, I can stomach. But, but the one we want to talk about, this is throwing it way back, legit, Gideon, the, the movie we're going to talk about, I was your age when it came out. Simba. Yes, so the Lion King. So uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about one of, the, one of the scenes in the Lion King. So tell us about this. Um, well, Zeke could probably be able to tell this better. Zeke could tell it better, yes. He's got, <laughs> yes. He's got Lion King memorized. Yeah, but um, so... <sighs> elephant Sim graveyard, man. They're going after it. <laughs> yes, I Why does Simba want to go into the elephant graveyard? Um, Simba and Nala went into the elephant graveyard because um, Simba wanted to prove his father that he was brave enough to be a true Lion King. Yeah. And so what happens? They stumble down into this thing. Yeah. The, um, they start hearing cackling and laughing. Right. Three hyenas come out and, and um, Simba and Nala run away and um, they get caught in a, they get caught in a corner and so Simba roars it comes out as a little squeak right a little, yeah. little, little little meow yeah right but then um, the the hyenas say do it again and the second time he does it it comes out as a real lion roar why because um, his father, Mufasa, had roared at the same time that he had attempted. Yes. Stupid that a stinging Disney movie can mess me up. But man, that part gets me every time. Does that part mess you guys up? I don't know. When you get to that helpless stage, when you, like, he's surrounded, he's got no chance. He's toast. He's gonna, these, these hyenas are going to eat him. Does what he can. It's not enough. And then, boom, just at the last moment, dad shows up. And, uh, man, that's so powerful to me. So, what's the lesson? Say it perfect. <laughs> the roar that wins our victories doesn't come from us. It comes through us. That's deep. You should drop the microphone. Don't drop the microphone. 
the war that wins our victories does not come from us. It comes through us. Man, this is why the Bible can say be strong. It's not, be, it's not you be strong. It's be strong in God. It's allow God to flow through you. You need, that, you need that lion to roar. Your roar isn't quite going to do it in the things that you experience in your life. You're going to need the, the, the lion of Judah to roar at the same time and to overwhelm your enemies. That's why I think it's so incredibly important to have a, close relation, a consistent close relationship with God. Because when you go into the elephant graveyards of your life, you're going to need him. You're going to get cornered and you're not going to be able to make it without him. And you need... It, it, that's not the time... To like renew your relationship with God when you're stuck in the elephant graveyard. You need to bring it in with you. He needs to come with you. It's, and I know those, sometimes those times are when God wakes us back up. But man, if you don't, if you don't have a closer relationship with God, uh, it's a really hard time to reconnect with him when you're getting your butt handed to you by the enemy. Um, so, the roar that wins our victories doesn't come from us. It comes through us. All right, so I haven't told you the name of the sermon series yet. Here, here, here's the moment you've all been waiting for. Um, it's so weird to wait three weeks before even telling you. So, um, backstory. Back in medieval times, there, was, there were map, map makers. Okay, they'd go out, they'd go explore, and they'd make maps. They didn't have Google. It was a super sad time. Um, so these, these cartographers, they would go out on journeys, and they would map out what they saw to kind of let people in the future know these are the places and these are the things and um, every once in a while they come to an area uh, that would either either seem dangerous or they wouldn't get they wouldn't be able to go into the area fully um, so on that spot in their map they would write this little Latin phrase hic sunt draconis which means here be dragons here be dragons all it was was a warning hey uh, we didn't either A we didn't map this place out so be careful it's, there's, it's not there's there's not nothing on the map because there's nothing there. There's nothing on the map because I haven't mapped it out yet. Do you know what I'm saying? Or we did go in there and it's not a safe place to go. So just watch out. Hic sunt draconis. Here be dragons. So I was reading this fiction book a couple weeks ago um, that I'm a nerd, whatever. Um, and they, the, the writer was really cool. He adapted the phrase. Um, it was a group of people, kind of a house or a tribe of people. They adopted a motto for themselves and they twisted this one. And they, they said, hic sunt leonis here be lions. So it's kind of the opposite of the way ancient cartographers would use the phrase. Instead of an unknown, it's a known. And instead of fear, it's, <laughs> well, we could call it brave or it could be a little cocky because they're talking about themselves. Here be lions. They claimed it. Like that was their tribe, their, their war cry. That was the thing that they told each other. Here be lions. It's us. And man, that, that like moved me um, Hicksont Leonis. What if that was like our spiritual motto? Isn't that what we're supposed to be? Isn't that what a church is supposed to be? A pride of lions? If our king is a lion, isn't that what we're supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to <laughs> walk straight ahead and not let anything get in our way? Aren't we supposed to carry ourselves the same way he carries himself? What if that were true of this church? Hicksont Leonis. Growl a little bit roar a little bit gates of hell would shake a little bit because of how we carry ourselves and, and the way we think about ourselves so worship team why don't you guys come back up here um, I want you to think about that like the word mentality the idea that you could have an attitude or a way of carrying yourself 
where when you think about you, you think about a lion and how a lion would act and, and the attitude a lion would carry. What if that was you? Do you want to close this out in prayer? All right, I'll do it. It's not very Leonine. That's all right. I'll, I'll, get it. I'll roar for you. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the Lion of Judah, that you, uh, <laughs> you roar for us when we can't, Lord. And I, I pray for every person in here, Lord, for, for those 10 things, Lord, that you would just pull one of them to the top of their mind, right in front of their face, and say, this is the one, this is the one that I want to work on. This is, this is the place I want to work in your life. That we would march with our heads high, that we would, we would strut a little bit, not cocky, but confident, knowing who we are and whose we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.